Hello and welcome to the Friday, August 7th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, voting rights, polls, and more polls. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. Uh, I guess Brett and Aaron are off on vacation. Uh, I know Aaron said he planned to fish or play golf. So I guess either way, he'll be in the water. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Delayed burn until he hears this. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Online Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, making good. As she promised, Governor Kim Reynolds signed an executive order this week to restore felon voting rights. Under her order, felons' rights will be restored once they have discharged their sentence or have been granted probation or parole. Um, it does not apply to felons who are convicted of murder and manslaughter and those who receive special lifetime sentences for sexual crimes. Um, Todd, the, the Gazette is among those who have called on the legislature and given its inaction, the governor to take this action to go ahead and restore voting rights. Um, and according to the NAACP, about 40,000 Iowans now will have an opportunity to have their voting rights restored. Um, how did Reynolds do on this? I mean, what sort of a grade should she get? How much credit should does she deserve? Well, you know, I think if letter grade wise, I think, you know, maybe give her a, an A in that uh, her order did not, uh, as feared, require these offenders to fully pay restitution, which would have been a disadvantage for low-income uh, felons who, you know, are, are pay, having to pay off that restitution more slowly than a, than someone with a healthier income. You know, a lot of people compared that to a poll tax, which I think is a pretty apt comparison. So the fact that she left that out, even though she knows that Republicans in the legislature sort of wanted that limitation, took some courage, and I think she deserves credit for that. It made it a much better order than than some of us thought she would she would have. There are exceptions, but I think you know those you know homicide related crimes and and, and sex crimes as you mentioned. So I, I think those are understandable. Uh, you know I, I've heard some folks lament that not only do you have to finish your prison sentence, but you also have to finish your uh, period of parole and probation, which I think some folks hope that she would stick straight to, to, to uh, prison sentences, which actually Tom Vilsack's order didn't go that far. I think you, you also mm. had to had to uh, complete parole and probation under his order. So yeah, uh, I think, you know, another aspect of this is that, you know, we, we've seen this whole, this whole process play out where she proposed the amendment. The legislature sort of didn't go along, especially the, the Senate. And there were lots. There was lots of pressure for her to do an order. She resisted that, saying that something permanent would be better. Uh, I think in the end, I, th I think you know the the young organizers of these Black Lives Matter protests that that occurred, you know, even on the state house grounds and and in the state house itself, uh, deserve quite a bit of credit for nudging her from the position that she previously had to right. uh, yeah. going ahead and doing the order. I think I, I'd read that they weren't invited to the bill signing, which I think is unfortunate. I, I think in the end, they deserve a considerable amount of credit you know, for pushing this over the finish line. This was not 
unanticipated. Uh, I mean, the governor said um, this spring that since the legislature hadn't acted, she was going to do an executive order. Um, does this silence her critics now? Um, Amy, do you think this uh, everybody's happy and they're all going to sing Kumbaya the next time they get together? Well, on this issue, sure. Um, but uh, certainly, um, you know, Black Lives Matter activists and, and legislators that were on this side of the issue are, are angry with Reynolds for a whole host of other reasons, too. But but yeah, I think, you know, Roz Smith hasn't said anything since um, and he's been really tweeting um, quite heavily once a day at least. And, and that gets retweeted at least 80 to 100 times. Uh, just it's been 50 days since Reynolds said that she was going to make this order and 90 days till the election, you know. So really keeping the pressure on, I think, which was probably at least a factor in in her decision to finally, you know, get that done. But but yeah, I think people were worried that you know maybe she was all talk, maybe she was, you know, not really going to to get it done, and then she did. So there could be a shock factor there. They're like, oh, she did it, and and it's great, and it's awesome. Like Todd said, uh, they they pretty much got everything that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, looking, at the, looking at the order, it, it just it is it is a little bit mystifying as to why it it took so long mm-hmm. for her to create it because it, it you know it I think you know I understand she wanted to meet with folks and and have her legal staff do some work on it, but it mm-hmm. I mean it looked a lot like the executive orders that people were advocating for her to to issue you know back in June. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this was a a good news moment that they were sort of hoping that they were kind of keeping in their pocket to wait for a, a week when she needed a good moment with, and this may be one of those weeks with all the controversy over school reopening. So maybe this was uh, you know, maybe there was a little state stagecraft at, at play also. Sure. That could be. In, in doing this, the governor talked about um, her belief in redemption and giving people second chances. Um, but to a lot of people, when you talk about felons, they see scary, bad people who quite often don't look like us. Do you think the public is as willing as the governor to be forgiving without any requirements, uh, for example, that felons make restitution uh, and, and just, I mean, even going as far as, uh, for, you know, restoring their voting rights? Todd, you can take that if you like. Oh, well, I, I think most of the, you know, the, what polling there's been on this showed that most Iowans thought, you know, restoring rights was a, was a good idea, at least a, a majority of folks. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I understand the, the opposition. I mean, and some of it, I, I think a lot of Iowans, just like a lot of politicians, are thinking differently about crime and punishment and what the judicial system is for. There's been a lot of, there's been a, quite a push to sort of reform the judicial system and reform marijuana laws and, and, and loosen some of these, you know, more draconian punishments and uh, the stuff that was passed during the 90s when tough on crime was was sort of in vanguard uh, but yeah so I, I i think i think the majority of iowans think this is a good move and uh, and you know i i mean even in the iowa house it, it passed the, the the constitutional amendment passed by a huge bipartisan margin as i said it got stuck in the senate but i i, I think the public is, is ready for this and, and will generally support it so yeah Oh, go ahead, Amy. And I, I, I agree. I think, you know, maybe a couple of things that might, you know, 
worry people are, does that mean they're never going to pay restitution? You know, a lot of victims' rights groups are sort of concerned about that. Um, if they get a legal claim, their their victims have medical bills or, or housing issues. And if they're not getting any more money, you know, but I think just the ability to vote is not necessarily going to like be that much of a thing where people are like, yay, now I'm definitely not going to pay my restitution. Like there are other things that will compel them to pay restitution um, or they'll go back to jail and then they can't vote. So I think if you think about it in that way, you think through the scenarios, they're going to eventually pay that restitution. And if you, you know, if people just wrap their minds around that, then it becomes a lot more palatable. Well, and even, even when people didn't have the right to vote, a lot of restitution isn't getting paid. I mean, there's a lot, the unpaid. That too. Yeah. I mean, no one's ever been able to show, you know, any type of data that, you know, that, if, if you can vote, if you can't vote, you'll pay your restitution faster. If you can, you'll pay it slower. There's no data on, you know, you know, if, if we let people vote, then, you know, they, you know, that, that or that, I guess that not letting them vote in, in any way was a deterrent to crime or, you know, it just, yeah. it's, it just, it, it, it's a punishment that didn't seem to make sense other than just to be punitive for no good reason. And, and I think you're right when you talk about how we're moving away from that punitive side and more into the let's ease these people back into society and voting is a yeah. big part of that. So where does this go from here? Todd, you mentioned that the, the constitutional amendment uh, got stuck in the Senate. Um, should we expect um, legislative action come January? Uh, I think an amendment will be filed depending on what happens in the elections. It may you know, get some traction, but I would be surprised. I think there will be this feeling on the part of legislators, you know, why, why take this on? It's, if it's going to be a contentious issue for us that we maybe can't get accomplished, but the the governor's issued this order. That's, that's good enough for now. Uh, The, the, you know, the, the gravitational pull of not doing anything is very strong in the legislature. <laughs> I mean, if, they, if they can avoid making a tough decision, then they'll uh, they'll do it, and maybe they'll. And an amendment to the constitution is a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it is a long process. I mean, if they if they pass it, it has to pass again the next general assembly and go to a vote. And so, uh, like I say, I think there will be legislators who will want to do it, and they will maybe try to get some momentum behind it, but. Uh, I also think there's going to be a sentiment that, well, the governor's issued this order. It's a good order. Uh, let's just leave well enough alone for now. As a lobbyist on issues like this told me uh, earlier this summer, if you give the legislature an off-ramp, they'll take it. So, Amy, do you think that now this will put more pressure on local governments to respond to a lot of the issues that are kind of related to restoring voting rights, the the police reform issues, the, you know, it seems like in every community we've seen some sort of a uh, equity group form making demands on local government. Do you think this shifts the pressure away from state government to local government? Well, I don't, I don't think so necessarily. I think, I think it's still in order to really be effective at the state level, I think, you know, it has to come from state government or rather to be effective at the voting level, it has to come from, you know, state Mm -hmm. government. But I think there's, there's room in there, obviously for, for police reform. If you're, if you're seeing, especially a Republican governor, um, seeing her sort of, you know, becoming less punitive, 
um, becoming more restorative justice, then that's going to, you know, put pressure on a whole host of, of legislators at all levels to, and elected officials to really sort of examine their own policing, their own um, sort of theory of crime and what really helps rehabilitate people back into the community. So yeah, I do see, you know, possible good things coming out of this if, if people can keep the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see if they keep the ball rolling. In the meantime, uh, this week we got a lot of polling numbers uh, about races here in Iowa. And um, in the in the first district, uh, Representative Abby Finkenauer and her challenger, State Representative Ashley Hinson, both started running TV ads. Finkenauer is still carrying her dad's sweatshirt, and uh, Hinson loves America, but not socialists. Um, Monmouth University dropped polls this week, um, and in the first district, uh, Amy, they showed Representative Abby Finkenauer with a 10-point lead over Hinson. Uh, Finkenauer won her race two years ago by about five points. Does that 10-point margin seem large? Heck, yes, it does. I almost couldn't believe it. Uh, This race has been a toss-up from the very beginning, Um, and I really just can't believe it's moved that much in in so little of a time. Now, let me caveat this by saying one poll does not an election make, Um, but if even a few points moved in Abby's direction, that's still huge. I mean, she's, you know, been neck and neck with any potential challenger, let alone Henson, Um, and I just... It's almost unbelievable, a 10-point lead. I, I would be really surprised if if Abby's campaign out and out believed it, too. I mean, I think they're still probably doing their own internal polling because that's so huge of a lead to come out from being a toss-up race to now a 10-point lead. That turns it to lean Democratic almost. Well, and when you um, look at the second district and the third district, those races are relatively close. Um, yeah. The fourth district is kind of in a district by itself. Uh, you know, it just seems like 10 points is unusual here in Iowa. Uh, it, yeah. it does make me wonder if, uh, you know, Henson is getting sort of pulled down by the president's numbers, um, which weren't that good in the Monmouth poll. Um, sure. So- and, and that could, be a, that could be a factor. I mean, she hitched her horse to his wagon when he endorsed her. And I don't think that that was the wrong move for her to do. Obviously you don't want to poo poo a sitting president's endorsement, no matter how that sitting president is doing. Um, because I think it, at the very least, it'll just give you a baseline of, of his base voters. I just can't believe that it's a, a 10 point deficit that she's got. That's, that's, um, that's a little unbelievable to me. I would love to see two or three more polls show this before I really am like, Hmm, okay, maybe we've got something here. Yeah. Amy, you, you talked to representative Finkenauer this week about one of her victories in Congress, uh, um, doubling of funding for endometriosis research. Um, as she often says, um, this is personal, but how politically significant is, is that? You know, it it depends. It is a very personal issue to her. Um, She's been battling this um, since she was diagnosed at 18. She's had a couple surgeries. Um, She was, she says she's one of the lucky ones in that her mom sort of believed that her pain was real. And, you know, that's a very, that's a very real thing because a lot of women go undiagnosed apparently with this disease. So, so yeah, I mean, in doubling it, she says, so it's not very much money in terms of federal government standards. It went from like 13 million to 26 million in the NIH budget, which if you think about it comparatively, we give 2.1 2.1 billion a year to Alzheimer's research, for example. So it's it's not much, but it's something, and it, it matters to her. It 
I think she started a caucus based around this issue, um, and mostly Democrats. She's got a, a Republican commissioner from Puerto Rico on there as well. So she's she's sort of, you know, just stepping into the water of, I think, you know, staking out her own claim on these issues, which is really good for somebody, a freshman senator or a freshman, you know, representative to do because it's so difficult to get noticed, I think. And, and something like that could eventually help her. It could be the Biden effect. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about why they like Biden, talk about his really personal struggles, you know, losing his his child, um, you know, or, or battling, um, you know, having to try to do this cancer moonshot. These aren't exactly like policy issues that are going to affect a ton of people, but they're those feel-good issues that people say over and over again that they really appreciate his emotional resonance with him. And so I think maybe this could, you know, if Abby plays it right, she could play it off like that as well. Todd, uh, Monmouth also had numbers for the other congressional races. Uh, uh, in the 3rd District, freshman Congresswoman Cindy Axney is leading uh, by a margin wider than her victory margin in 2018 over David Young. It's a rematch this year. In open seat races, Republicans fared better. Um, Randy Feenstra is leading J.D. Shulton in the fourth by 20 points. Um, I guess if Brett was here today, he could tell us that he probably has his fourth district election results story written already for the Sioux City <laughs> Journal. <laughs> in the second district, uh, Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks is leading within the margin of error over Democrat Rita Hart. Um, is the fourth time a charm for Miller Meeks? Can she overcome the 50,000 Democratic voter advantage of Johnson County? Yeah, that I thought that those numbers were a little surprising. I would ex- have expected Hart to, to maybe be ahead in that district. Uh, you know, if in a presidential year that could be a good, you know, could possibly be a good night for Democrats, I would be a little surprised if Miller Meeks could pull this off. But, you know, that's also a district that voted for, for Trump mm-hmm. uh, in 2016. So it's it's volatile to some extent, despite the, the voter advantage that Democrats have. So uh, I, I believe, it, you know, it's, it's, it probably is within the margin of error at this point, and we'll, we'll, we'll see going forward. But that, yeah, that's, that's going to be an interesting race. And I, I agree with Amy. I'm, I'm, I don't think there's a 10 point gap in the, in the first, but uh, but I guess in this particular snapshot, that's what they found. And as our former governor for life, Terry Branstad, would say, the only poll that matters is the one they take on election day. So <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> and finally, uh, measuring performance. Uh, a week ago, a consortium of colleges published poll results showing that just 28% of Iowans thought Kim Reynolds was doing a good job of handling the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I don't know, some people might be satisfied with 20, 28%, <laughs> judging from my email and voicemail uh, some days. Uh, I'd take 28%. Um, <laughs> however, that number was down from 54% the previous month. Yet this week, Monmouth reported that uh, her good job, bad job rating was 58% to 39% quite a turnaround in a week. Uh, Amy, uh, what explains the the wide variation and the wild swing in these results, especially uh, given that the Monmouth poll respondents seem to disagree with the decisions Reynolds has made about local mask mandates and back to school protocols, but they still, you know, uh, 58% of them thought she was doing a good job. 28% she was doing a very good job. Yeah. 
you know, maybe the Monmouth pole just sucks. I mean, that could be a reason. <laughs> could explain a lot. And the, and once we get some more polls coming down the line, you know, maybe we'll we'll decide if it does or not. But that's a. I mean, that's that's definitely. Um, coronavirus is a huge issue. The economy is a huge issue. They're intertwined right now. And nobody's really been able to get a handle on this. I would be surprised if any sitting governor anywhere had a really good approval rating on the way that they're handling this because there's always going to be like, you know, some percentage of people that are either out of work or um, at work and getting coronavirus. And then, you know, I don't know how this is a anybody's going to win situation. So I think just as it slogs on with numbers, you know, at least steady, if not climbing, Reynolds is going to suffer for sure. So even if the Monmouth poll is is just wrong, 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 I bet she has lost points, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's like you said, it's coronavirus. It's not having a good answer on schools. Maybe the uh, felon voting rights restoration was a Hail Mary for her to try to claw back some of those points. Yeah, although the polling, I think, was done before the um, felon voting rights restoration. Right, um, that's what I'm saying. Maybe she saw the poll and was trying to claw back some of those points. So, so Todd, is this just an example of Iowa Nice? People are saying, like, yeah, we disagree with your mask, uh, you know, protocols and back-to-school protocols, but, hey, we still like you. Yeah, I guess that could be it. Uh, I looked at the polls there, you know, they're, they're pretty different as far as, I mean, this, this consortium poll, they, mm-hmm. they poll monthly on all 50 state governors. Mm-hmm. They ask respondents, do you, do you strongly approve, approve, disapprove, or strongly approve of your governor's handling of the coronavirus? And, and for, and for, you know, for Reynolds in late April, she was around 52%. She fell into the thirties in May was at 37% in June and then had this July number that was 28%. That's a pretty big drop, but it also tracks pretty well with governors in Oklahoma, Nebraska, Texas, Missouri, who also saw higher approval ratings in the 50. I think the Texas governor may have been at 60 at that point, And now they're down in the chilly thirties mm-hmm. uh, with Reynolds. So, and you know, the, the Monmouth poll asked basically, do you think governor Reynolds is doing a good job or a bad job? So you only had two choices. And they asked that question before they got into the questions about, you know, these individual decisions. Do you agree or disagree with, you know, allowing masks, locals to, to ban masks and th- or to, to mandate masks, the exact opposite yeah. of what I meant to say. Uh, so there are different polls. And of course, the Monmouth poll is a political poll, which before they got to the coronavirus questions, they asked about different political races. And I think your respondents may have been in a, a different mindset to answer that question about Governor Reynolds than when the consortium calls you and asks this mainly this one question measuring coronavirus and giving you sort of a more nuanced set of set of responses. So, yeah, I mean, do I is she at twenty eight? Maybe not. Is she at fifty eight? Maybe not. I mean, that's you know, but uh, it's interesting to see two polls taken. I think the consortium poll was taken a little bit before the the Monmouth one was, but. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to see. Uh, I think the, the consortium poll has a higher margin of error; it's about six percent. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, thus ends my math class. But yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see more polls in the future and be just as confused then as we are now. 
don't know. I think maybe maybe you have a future in homeschooling there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the one thing. Use Denver going. <laughs> yeah. One thing I've noticed, it, it, and I'm not sure if it holds true in the Monmouth poll, but in some of the polls I've seen, governors in basically what you would say are one-party states get much higher approval ratings for handling coronavirus in states mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a, a, a pretty significant split between Democrats and Republicans, uh, purple states, you might say, or, or states that aren't clearly red or clearly blue, it seems like the approval ratings are much lower. So um, that, that may be part of it is just sort of the political aspect of it. And like, hell no, that Democrat's not doing a good job or no, yeah. um, you know, they don't know anything. So. But yes, we'll be looking for the next round of polls to see uh, which direction they're going for the governor as well as uh, the congressional candidates. But that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Craig Erickson will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.
Sometimes it just takes a 